I was exactly six months in the development department for an OEM and until the owner came to me and said, I have to tell you, usually we don't hire and fire, <laughs> but I have to tell you, you are one of the worst engineers I have seen before. That's quite a slap in your face, I have to tell you. And while Admir had aspirations of being an actual rocket scientist, his talents lay elsewhere. His benevolent boss, who just minutes before had fired him, connects him to a path that would lead him here. My name is Admir. I'm head of sales and marketing in Baysoft and recently also a partner. We offer highly integrated Bay 2 PDM and quote system for OEM and EMS. Welcome to The Intelligent Engine, a podcast that lives in the heart of the electronics industry, brought to you by Silicon Expert. Silicon Expert is all about data-driven decisions with a human-driven experience. We mitigate risk and manage compliance from design through sustainment. The knowledge, experience, and thought leadership of the team, partners, and those we interact with every day expose unique aspects of the electronics industry and the product life cycles that live within it. These are the stories that fuel the intelligent engine. Today's spotlight is on Baysoft, a company based in Germany with the vision and passion over the last 15 years to automate and digitize with their software Bay2 the PDM and SCM processes. With its headquarters in Germany, Baysoft offers the highly integrative Bay2 PDM and quote system for OEM and EMS, which is networked with the various systems such as ERP, ECAD, and external databases. Information on price, availability, compliance, as well as form, fit, and function specifications are shared from external databases. We have Admir with us today, head of sales and marketing at Baysoft. We'll talk about digitization and IoT in our industry. Admir's background is quite wide. Over 20 years ago, he started as a semiconductor engineer and developed industrial applications for a European OEM. His journey brought him from the technical to the commercial world, where he was responsible for the sourcing department within a mid-size EMS. The next career steps he made were within the sales department for a distributor before he recently became a partner at Baysoft. Admir, thanks for joining us. I would like to thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. So quite a start to your career, but your boss saw something in your talents. So it's really more of a mentoring redirection, right? Instead of developing and instead of playing around with all the tools and give me something really cool and fantastic, you keep asking price. So who is going to pay that? Why should we have this? Can we have this? So I said, you know, honestly speaking, you should leave everything what is technical related because you are more commercial related. So if you want, I can suggest you to a friend of mine. He has a company, EMS, and look somebody for the sourcing. So that is how I had a short period of my life being an engineer and change into the sourcing area. Yeah, and from that one, I started like the typical way. I was a regular buyer, went through different departments, responsibilities, commodities. And after four years, I actually realized that the sourcing is very nice, but I talk too much. So sales. Sales, exactly. <laughs> so then I started for a distributor as a sales account manager. Yeah, my last role was sales director. And during the, my whole Carrier. I, I really speaking. I was always. Let's. It's put it this way. I am. A, I'm a real salesperson. A real salesperson means, honestly speaking, they are the laziest people you can meet, at least in my world. Because no, seriously, we want to efficiently 
to make money, to sell, whatever. But we don't want to spend 24 hours just, these are the developers, these are the engineers, they are they love to code and they love to, to develop. But sales is more towards, let's have fun, play golf, do something and make money out of that. So the yeah. past 20 <laughs> years, I always tried to find ways how we can optimize what we do, how we can use the tools which are available to make us better in sense of how can we work faster, how we can reduce the error ratio, how can we communicate better without typing tons of emails. So trying to find a way. And through my career, I always, like everyone, you know, we started with Excel, access databases mm-hmm. and whatsoever. And uh, so that is how I came to Bezov because a friend of mine, he said, honestly speaking, you have to watch this company. It's a phenomenal good tool. Like they address exactly what the industry is looking for, but they just have one problem. And the problem is the sales. Because at that time, we didn't have a lot of customers. We had a niche product for niche industry, even less uh, amount of customers. So that's how I came to Bezov, became a partner and said, you know, guys, I definitely cannot code and I definitely cannot help you in developing whatsoever. I tried, I proved, I missed, but <laughs> I can sell. I can try to sell. And since few months, this August, I joined. And I have to say, due to the fact of the corona and the COVID situation, many companies want to go towards the digitalization. So it's right now, it's a good time also to talk about that. And I would say in the past six months, we gained more customers than in the past five, six years. So that shows wow. that it, it doesn't require a salesperson. It just requires somebody who talks a lot and presents. I love the comparison that you draw between the lazy salesperson who wants to make their process as efficient as possible so that they can make more money and expend the least amount of work. That applies, it seems to me, perfectly to what Basoft actually is providing. You want to make the process more efficient. You want to make it less work for the people who are using it. Right. You found the, the, the perfect spot. The challenge is, and really, and that's the, the interesting part, if you see our industry today, decision makers, even on the operative level, people are more responsible for, let's say, a higher amount of tasks. And you have to document, you need to keep the documentation properly. So if you ask people, and that is what I ask always, I ask a question when I go into a, a meeting, yeah. it's like, tell me how much you act and how much you react. So how much you act, meaning that you have a a technical background, you're an engineer. So how much of your time you use your brain to come up with something, to decide, to measure, to whatever. And how much of your time you need to do fulfillment? Like you fulfill data, right? Right. And the same Responding to requests. Exactly, exactly. So- when you start a conversation, sure, everyone will say, no, 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 you know, 99% is just my but when, brilliant when, things all day. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But when you dig deeper into it, then you realize that no, they are heavily depending to collect data. I need to check if the data is valid. I need to link the data to my own system somewhere. So that's my vision. And that's also the vision of the base of as well. So that's why we matched each other to say, no, we need to come up with a product which allows the people to decide and let the engine works. 
Yeah, it really turns the process around to go from a reactive process to a methodology where you're driving the process from the ideation forward. That's a pretty huge shift. Is that something that we see more widely across the industry these days? Because obviously the old way of doing things, particularly in very large companies, has to be very entrenched. The bigger the company is, the bigger, more complicated their systems are, and the harder it is for them to change. Is Baseoff's relatively small size, uh, has that enabled you to react faster and to be able to think more openly about, hey, here's how we can change this entire process? Honestly speaking, I thought at the beginning that because we are so small, we can change few things fast. Mm. It's not about that. And I realized that it's not, you know, you have two ways of softwares today. One way of the software is that, let's say, you want to fulfill the requirement of the customer and you don't care about how you transmit the data, where is the data, who is responsible for the data, who proves the data, and these kind of things, right? Mm. The other way is what we have is we, we take an architecture, our architecture is a Microsoft Dynamics space, where we say, okay, first of all, we need to have an architecture where it uh, doesn't matter to which company I go tomorrow, they will not complain because do we control their data? No, we don't. Mm. You know, we implement our software in your server, in your system, right? So, it's my software, but it's your data, and you control the data. And the architecture and the, let's say, the, this coding beside how to connect each element makes those things so complicated. So what makes us different is, is very simple. 15 years ago, even, even longer, the crowdform started this thought process and coding process. So what we're coming up today, we started with development two years ago, right? We see here and there competitors who, let's say, attack the same case, but it's not really, let's say, down the road. It's not like really you go very deep and say, okay, have you considered everything possible? Mm. And when I say consider everything possible, I will make it very simple. I cannot convince a customer, I cannot convince a user to use my software if he cannot rely back on his chair and say, hey, I don't need to control. It's everything is done. So it's like when you are in the school and you calculate, Two plus two is four. So if you want to control, your four minus two should be two. So we take this decision, we take this time away from the user and say, rely back. Everything will be automatically and digitalized. And then you will get also the controlling function. So you will get the end result controlled. It's like a number, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You don't have to worry about two plus two. We handle that. Exactly. You just ask your question. That is the difference. So that the one thing is that they automate my process. That's the easy part. Yeah. The semiconductor industry certainly is a cornerstone of the high tech industry in general. Does IoT exist in our industry besides on the manufacturing side? First of all, in general, let's say the new systems, current ERP systems, all of them, I would say, are IoT capable. And many of their users, many of the clients, in our industry, they are, they are maximizing it already. So for example, an ERP system is mainly for financial, logistic, and for the production relevant. The operating part of sourcing, like creating a purchase order, a variety of different logistic solutions, documentation, all of these things, they're very advanced in, in, in the process flow of current ERP systems, and it's very efficient. 
Yeah, the things that we do thousands of times a day across exactly. thousands of different companies, we're pretty good at that piece of it. Exactly. There's no difference between, I don't know, producing of high-tech product versus milk, including milk package. Yeah, They have right. both the same ERP system, and the process in the ERP system is most probably the same, mm -hmm. right? Pretty basic stuff, no matter what you're building. Correct. So if you see it from the ERP side, yes, it exists. The extremely high amount of variable product data we have in our semiconductor industry includes all the product changes we get affected every day. They constantly change market conditions, price, lead time, different vendors, makes the whole thing complicated. So the answer is yes, we have IoT in our industry, but only for financial logistic production areas. But when it comes up for the development department, when it comes up for the sourcing department, then definitely not. So if you ask uh, a buyer today how his daily work has changed today versus 10 years ago, many of them will say, in the past, I had less amount of emails, less amount of part numbers, less amount of complications and headaches, but the tools are quite similar, which they're using internally. Externally, it's an absolutely different world. Externally, like also, if you've seen a Silicon Expert, there are platforms which has drastically changed and helped in our working life but they're not connected to our system. So yeah. IoT, in my opinion, in our industry, related to development and, and sourcing department does not exist. Yeah, that seems like a big hole to fill. We talked about an, an example of making a high-tech product versus, let's say, packaging milk. So if you're a dairy and you're packaging milk, you probably don't have to update your products very often. <laughs> yeah. Milk comes out of the cow, you put it in a carton, maybe you change the look of the carton, maybe you even change to a different kind of carton, but there's not much else to it that's going to change the things like, like form factor and all that. Can you talk more about what makes it so complicated in our industry specifically? Whew. Okay, let's start from the technical uh, part and the commercial part. Let's talk about the technical part first. So let's say now I try to address my engineer friends. We get confronted with several uh, different areas which we have to fulfill. So one area is, as example, what comes from each country, from each government, what they ask to fulfill. So as example, you know, we have to fulfill the Frank Dot Act, the dual use, the reach, the rush, reach to and whatsoever. You have so many um, data which you have to collect and to update your system just to to meet the um, requirements. Just from for yeah, regulatory compliance, exactly. right? Yeah. Exactly. Then the second thing is, which comes from the manufacturers. In the past, let's say decade, we have seen quite a lot of acquisitions in our industry. So each acquisition brings few changes with it. So either the manufacturer name changes, or the product name changes, or the product goes obsolete. Now there's few changes there which we cannot influence. We, you cannot even, as a developer, you cannot even know what's going on because that's quite confident. So suddenly you get confronted and say, okay, now you do something, right? And beside of all of these, Two things. There is the third thing, and that's what you have to say. You have milk, and you will have 10 cows, 100 cows, 1,000 cows, right? But you have a few hundred thousand core part numbers. And these part numbers have several slight changes in the part numberings, so suffix, prefix. The one is 
related for the package, for the temperature grade. So this kind of huge amount of data, as an engineer, you cannot know it. You, you need to have a database. I remember when I was an engineer, honestly speaking, we had a whole room with literally 200 square meters of data sheets. <laughs> so when we had to collect the data sheet, it took us like one hour to, to get this thing. Like today, it's, it's faster, but today you have also much, much more port numbers, which you have yeah. to cover. Yeah. And, and when a part number changes, who knows if that's going to affect anything that will change what, what you're doing. Maybe it's totally irrelevant. Maybe it makes the part useless for your product. Absolutely. The keyword is workflow. So the, the thing is that one thing is what, what, what happens. And the other thing is who has to do what. Mm. So a clear workflow. But that is then the, the next part of how we solve it, like, or how should uh, a software solve it in, in towards an IoT. And the commercial side, that's a different ball game because if you see the extremely fluctuation in our industry, now, now the change of, you can read it everywhere in the newspaper that there is a shortage in the semiconductor industry. Tomorrow, it will turn around. So you have to constantly change. That is, it's a static thinking and a static workflow doesn't exist in our industry. And that makes it First of all, so beautiful. That's why we are here where we are and we love it. But on the other side, that is also the challenge. We have to find how to make it easier as it is today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's enough challenges. Let's talk a, a little bit about the research side. We've talked about regulatory compliance. We've talked about the commercial side. What are the challenges to implementation on the research side? Where to collect the data. No, that's the thing. So I've given a perfect example. Let's say I would put 10 different customers in one room and I would ask them, guys, how you collect your data, where you store it, how your people have access to this data. Most probably eight of 10 will have a different idea. We want to talk about one process and how it can be optimized and make it better. Yeah, yeah. Stop wasting time. Exactly. So what is the biggest challenge when it comes up to collect data? The ERP system is limited in their capability of collecting data. So... You know, this ERP manufacturer did not thought about Reach 2 few years ago yeah. when they came up uh, out, as example, right? Or maybe pick and place data or this information. So you need to go to the ERP uh, manufacturer and ask them to add this field into the database. That is the easiest part. Yeah. Cost-wise will be the different th sir, but that is the easiest part. But <laughs> we talk only about products which we are using for our, our production. But how does it look like for an EMS? Like a, a, a typical contract manufacturer, he gets a requirement from 10 customers and maybe one or two orders he will get. So that means that from 10 customers, he gets a bill of material. What to do with this bill of material? You cannot put this in the ERP system because you blow up the ERP system. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> so mainly all of them, what they do is they have like an Excel sheet and do upload and download. And here comes really the sad part. You have, let's say, mid-sized and big contract manufacturers. They have several departments in several areas and they request the same part number that they ask the same data for the same part number or collect the data for the same part number, but they don't see it because each side or each user has his own Excel file. And they don't import this into the ERP system because there is no reason, because we are still in a calculation process, right? So what we do with our software is to say, no, no, guys, we, we put you all together into our software Bay 2, right? This software Bay 2 
is the bridge between your ERP system and the data provider outside. For example, Silicon Expert. So if your friend in Mexico collected data for this part, your colleague in Germany will see it as well. Yeah. Right? And he doesn't have to be emailed an outdated spreadsheet that may not make Absolutely. any sense to him. And, and yeah, we've eliminated 10,000 individual Excel sheets across the, exactly. the world. And, and the most beautiful thing is today, we calculate the bill of material, we quote to our customer, to the OEM, right? And suddenly there is a product change notification coming from the manufacturer, right? So ideal case, in my view, what we fulfill with our software is that the PCM goes into our system, it goes directly to the buyer or to the salesperson who quoted to his end customer. So even though you didn't get the order from your customer, you can already drop an email to your customer and say, hey, by the way, I quoted you yesterday, your bomb. Actually, today, a PCM came up, right? So maybe you should not consider this product into your application. And this service pitch makes it today different. Yeah, that's a real paradigm shift, getting back to what we, we were first talking about, acting versus reacting. What I said at the beginning, you have two different approaches how you can develop something. You can just solve something, the requirement. So the customer wants to automate his quotation or calculation process. That's one thing. Our approach is a little bit, goes more deeper because if data is available, then I want to have this data specifically nailed to the responsible person. Doesn't matter if it's the buyer, developer, sales. And if you have these arguments, then you're, you represent a completely different style of a business setup. I don't react. When I think IoT, I think of things like connected appliances, hardware talking to hardware. When you use IoT, help me understand a little bit more about why that's a preferable term to use here rather than just saying API, if we're talking about more than just software talking to software. Yeah. IoT means you nail it, machine with machine. They should talk and they should give me the result. And based on this result, I, I do my decision. In theory, sounds great. But in the reality, the problem is that not each machine is connected with the other machine. So you have different barriers. Either one of your barriers is the language of the machines. Mm -hmm. So not every system uh, is API capable, for instance. The other thing is as well that you have like also security issues. We have clients who said, oh, IoT science, fantastic. I don't want to go out with my data. So then we have to neutralize the data somehow to still be able to exchange, but exchange with a lot of data not related. So I'll give an example. Today, people think that if I take a bill of material, upload into the cloud, download information, that in the cloud where I've uploaded, wherever it is, the information disappears. No, it doesn't. It will always stay in the cloud. And the API technology allows you really to address cell by cell. So it's very difficult to, to track back yeah. for which application is relevant. API is, let's say, the turbo for the IoT industry or for the IoT technology or for the IoT century where we are right now. Because with the API technology, we are able to exchange data in real time on a very easy level. So it's not really, you don't need, again, hydrocket scientists to, to develop these kind <laughs> of things. You just have, you just need a thought process and a platform there different distributors, APIs, the data center like Silicon Expert, and 
plenty of Excel databases they have in their organization. So that is our niche and our role that we say we are exactly in the middle and fulfill the bridges which the ERP cannot fulfill directly. It strikes me that what we gain with efficiency there frees up the people working on these things to do the things that only the people can do, the things that the software can't do. Is that the idea there, that we're not replacing humans, we're just liberating them to, to do the, the jobs that they need to be doing? That's the point. When you have the presentation with the higher management, they see the system, they understand. Then you go down to the next level, and the first thing, especially when you have a one-on-one -on -one meeting, then you see scary faces. Oh, no. <laughs> but you are presenting now somebody who will replace. That's not the, the sense, because the sense is not to invest something to replace a human. The sense is to invest in something to grow in your profitability sales, usually in sales, and that the human do what the machine cannot. Admir, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for the really fun and cool conversation. I'd like to thank our audience for tuning in and thank Basoff for sponsoring this episode of the Silicon Expert Intelligent Engine. Tune into new episodes that will delve into more of the electronics industry. Upcoming topics will include how nice-to-have technologies are now taking a front seat, a deep dive into obsolescence reality, and an examination of the ever-expanding reach of Edge AI. Be sure to share our podcast with your colleagues and friends. You can also sign up to be on our email list to receive updates and the opportunity to provide your input on future topics. Go to siliconexpert.com slash podcast to sign up. Until next time, keep the data flowing.